0: Going on, everybody. This is Darian Jones of Honor Kings and Sons, and I want to be able to talk to you about Christian leadership. What does that even look like? Uh, on today's episode, I want to give a special shout out uh, to all the people that have been supporting me and my podcast uh, from day one. Um, even different people who have, um, you know, shown me love by sending me uh, clothing. And, um, you know, different things like that. Shout out to Jackson Academy, um, you know, for showing me a lot of love and just different uh, partners and different people and friends and loved ones that's been showing love to the podcast um, for sure. Uh, So today I want to talk about Christian leadership and what does that look like. I'm going to tell you guys right now, um, as a person who's pretty much born and raised in church, uh, I have seen... Leadership in the church, um, you know, for relatively a long time. And I've seen it um, on TV. And of course, with the rise of social media, I've seen it on social media. So, um, and then I've seen it in history. So I guess I'm going to break it down in those four categories my in person experience growing up um, on TV with televangelists, the rise of social media, and then historically. So my in-person experience uh, with Christian leadership, uh, for sure, is um, I would say you know it was uh, the preacher or the man of God, definitely just spending time in the Word, um, directing people um, from the pulpit, and you know really speaking life into their lives. I remember the first time um, I was in you know youth service and I was participating, and when I was younger, um, you know, the youth leaders that we had at that time, uh, they just weren't a right fit. Uh, It was definitely something that they probably were tasked to do, and, you know, you get that in churches, and one thing that you find out when when you are an adult, you don't necessarily understand it as a kid, is that when you have a person in the wrong role, it does have consequences. Uh, putting somebody in a role that you think is going to work for them and it turns out not to be that role for them, uh, unless that person just really knows how to work whatever situation they're in, it's going to affect those that they are in charge of. So I would say my first one-to-one experience um, in Christian leadership is that you have to make sure that you're in the right role, for sure, Um, especially when you're dealing with God's people. Because what you say, what you do, can largely affect their life. Um, There were a lot of instances when I was young, a lot of young people, you know, did leave the church I grew up in, um, in boatloads, simply because they were just the wrong people in the wrong positions. And so um, it did have a massive effect on me because I would think growing up that church is a place that, uh, you know, you just can't trust people, you know, Uh, But that was not the case. And it it took me, you know, sticking out through the fire until the right leaders uh, came around um, and really blessed my life. So uh, first thing with Christian leadership, like I say, is that you just got to be in the right role. Um, And for a leader, uh, uh, you know, they have different types. You have a natural-born leader. You have a person that's made into a leader. And then, you know, you have a person that's like they're like the hero of the day you know, they saw an opportunity, or an opportunity was presented to them, and it just happened to be, like, the hero of the day. So, um, when I look back uh, with Christian leadership, you know, these were some of the things um, that I saw. This is, like I said, in-person experience. I'm not drafting any factual, you know, statements here. I'm just letting you know um, in-person experience. Um, Another thing is that um, in Christian leadership, um, we know that uh, the intent is to lead with your life. Uh, you know, varies so much. Uh, but it took me a while to understand grace and mercy and forgiveness. As a matter of fact, I can personally tell you as a believer over 33 years that looking back, I dabbled in a lot of legalism uh, because I was young. So I was trying to figure out who to follow. Uh, for some people, um, you know, the revelation of Jesus Christ is so real and so raw to them that um, they just they follow that 24-7. Me, on the other hand, it was real to me, but I was trying to understand what it looked like in like human flesh. So I paid attention to a lot of, a lot of the people in my church, um, whether if they led Bible study, they were a Sunday school teacher, They were my youth leader or they were my pastor or they were the guest preacher or prophet, you know, that came um, to our church. So I tried to make sure that I can see what it looked like. And one thing I will tell you is that when you are seeking uh, to be led by somebody in person, face to face, um, you know, just some life nuggets, uh, never pay attention to what you see on Sunday. What you see on Sunday is just a reflection or a manifestation of what people, you know, um, were investing in all week. You know, so if you come into a church and you see a lot of, you know, um, charisma, a lot of, um, you know, manifestation of what it, it looks like God is doing in a person's life, if they're crying, they're weeping, um, if they're being delivered from a spirit, um, if they're being blessed you know, through prophecy, or they're being, you know, um, imparted, you know, a spiritual gift from God, or a new level of understanding in God, whatever the case may be, understand that, that how it looks on Sunday, that's just a reflection and a manifestation of what those people have been investing in. And when it comes to Christian leadership, like, you see patterns of success, you see patterns of sensibility, you see patterns uh, that that line up with the scripture eventually. Anytime you see in a individual, you see an inconsistency of what they do and what they say, it's a huge red flag. Um, I have I have seen in instances where you know a person um, you know I won't call it trickery, but they have to use a form of of you know psyching you out because they don't want you to catch on to what they're doing. You know, um, I mean, if you read the story of David, when he was running away from Saul and he entered the city and he pretty much had to play like he had, you know, he he had a mental illness, like he was crazy, you know. Um, He had to do that to what? Psych people out so that he can save his life. So um, you have people that do that, but like I said, that... That is a moment to moment thing. If that's 24 7, you know, you might want to be careful in, in looking to that person um, for growth, advice, mentorship, the whole nine. Uh, Christian leadership, to me, um, you know, what it looks like um, in person, it's really just you just have to be yourself. You have to be genuine, you have to be yourself. And I'm going to tell you right now, the, the narrative that has existed um, in the body of Christ, or, or specifically the Western American church, is that there's a criteria that you follow. And, for, and some way somehow, we found out, and, and, and when I say we, I say the people who have been in this for a long time, we found out the perfect criteria that matches that. Prime example... Uh, Some people believe that uh, the minute that you become a Christian, you should cut your hair. Some people believe the minute that you become a part of the body of Christ, if you're a man, you know, you should dress a certain way. You know, suit and tie on Sunday, um, you know, shirt tucked in, um, always have a Bible on your lap, you know, uh, things like that. And for the wife, of course, we know modest, um, you know, skirt covering the knees, no visibility of lingerie, no visibility of the breasts or nipples, um, you know, uh, nice hairdo, uh, light to no jewelry, uh, little to no makeup, um, you know, things like that. And here's the crazy thing. It's 2024, and you'll be surprised that that criteria has been passed on to today. And the people who speak out against those who are dressing otherwise – they attribute, you know, uh, that or how people look today as um, they attribute it as a flaw or an error in their biblical upbringing, their godly character, their salvation, the credibility of their salvation. They uh, attribute that to, you know, misinformation, that they're walking around with evil spirit or wrong spirit. They are the host of deception to deceive the world. It's just what is out there, people. You know, it, it, it is what it is. We could sit here and argue it all day, but the fact of the matter is is that there are a mass group of people. I don't care if it's, if it's every denomination um, you know, that, that views it a certain way. Collectively, there are a group of people who you know, equate the transformation of the good news of Jesus Christ they equate that to a actual, um, you know, criteria that corresponds um, to that transformation through how you dress, how you talk, you know, how you interact with people, so on and so forth. And uh, it's a huge argument. I I, I'm a person. I try not to name uh, people on my platform, um, not even because you know of, of If it draws attention, it gives more followers, ratings, whatever you want to call it. The reason why I don't call names is because we get lost in the big names. You know, I'm a person that has rubbed shoulders with uh, a few, you know, ministers of the gospel. Um, I've met people, I've had the pleasure of serving people from uh, all around the world and even have a few minutes with them, you know, that have powerful ministries and um, some of them are under 50 years old. Some of them are under 30 years old. Um, and, you know, the conversations, when you talk about those things, are, in a sense, like, they vary. It just depends on where they come from, the background, you know, their church culture, who they service. And so, it, it, like I say, it can get challenging uh, to, to assert um, you know, what to look for in Christian leadership. So like I said, with my in-person experience, this is something that um, I've dealt with. Now, let's talk about on television. I come from that generation. I grew up watching televangelists. Um, like I say, I don't want to name people. I mean, if you literally type up, type up televangelists, you'll probably get over 100. Um, I will name networks you have. TBM, God TV, Soul Survivor, The Ramp, The Basement. You have... um, uh, Jesus. um, So many different networks that used to come on, and and of course, um, a lot of them have transitioned over to YouTube and social media, so a lot of them have created global networks, um, national foundations, you name it, um, and things like that. But when I look in person, I mean switching from in-person to television. Uh, Like I said, the narrative of what Christian leadership looks like, it has to become standardized, or I didn't even say it has to, it had to become standardized. So, especially from back in the day, I'm talking about if you have to research recordings from people like Katherine Coleman, um, you know, Azusa Street Revival, the Asbury Revival, Brownsville Revival, uh, people like uh, Morris Sorello, uh, uh, Jesus, uh, so many different people, um, you know, just from back in the day, um, you know, uh, uh, it was just being televised on radio, even up until, uh, like I say, you got into black and white TV, and then, you know, uh, color TV, and even now, when you talk about Christian leadership, right, it had to look a certain way or it was meant to look a certain way. Uh, there was a person one time who said that, uh, who asked the question, what's the difference between a mafia mob boss and a pastor? Or what's the difference between a pimp and a pastor? What's the difference between a politician and a pastor? Right? Uh, they used to say that the, the, uh, there's no difference because the similarity is the, is the suit, right? They're all the same person, and I used to take offense to that because, of course, I'm a zealous Christian, so I don't want nobody talking bad about Christianity. When I was younger, but um, I took it, I chewed on that for years. I chewed on it for years, and I would say that I would say that here's the interesting thing when you look into leadership just as a whole, a mafia boss. A politician, a pastor, uh, you know, a pimp, um, and any other uh, entrepreneur, banker, you know, anybody who wears a suit, they are looked at as a person with power, as a person to be respected, um... Automatically, it is assumed that they carry morals. Automatically, is it is assumed that they have some form of wealth and uh, financial infrastructure that keeps them afloat. They have a strong influence. They have a form or a a a a large uh, structure of integrity and dignity. And in their circle, they rule. They they dominate. So, you know, one of the things that it took me years to do was to be able to see um, the consistency, be able to see the patterns, to be able to see the commonalities that anybody who wears a suit carries, or what is assumed in somebody who wears a suit, right? This is something that has been uh, popularized, especially in American culture, people who, who seem to be the most professional, the most powerful, the most influential, the most attractive, the most high value, you see them in suits. And what's crazy is because um, if you go back in time and you follow world history, there was never a commonality in form of dress code. There was never a commonality in form of language. Or, you know, it was always a commonality in character. That was always the commonality. And people may say that the character of a mob boss is totally different or should be or should be totally different from a pastor. Um, not necessarily, because you have to understand that both of them um have strong responsibilities to lead people, both of them have the responsibility to provide direction, both of them have the responsibility to know how to uh, decipher what is petty from what is uh, of importance or urgency. I think, I think one of the things that it took me a long time to understand about leadership is simply this: leadership, in itself, is a uh, it is a package that um, comes with uh, a heavy load but it services a lot of people. The outcome is to service people. The outcome is to take people to a better place. The the deception uh, is the reason for for why you do it um, and the reason behind uh, what you go after, you know. I think that is where the deception takes place. So when we go back to Christian leadership, what we start to find out is that um, we start to find out people's reasons, right? Why did a person want to become a pastor? Why did they want to open up a church? Um, why do they lead their congregation like this? And um, where it gets messy is when they attribute, you know, that it's connected to God. And this is Christian leadership, right? Right. Um, one of the most detrimental things I've ever seen in the Christian narrative in my 33 years alive is the, is the reason behind pastors, ministers of the gospel, the reason why they do things and how closely it is to um, just, you know, an idea that they have and a viewpoint that they have and then scripture. And I believe some of them do know this one thing. They know that because God did appoint them to that seat, that they have the flexible power to say and do as they please. And because the Bible says, Touch not thy anointed, nor do thy prophets any harm, that is their protective factor. Um, and I do believe that there are ministers who have abused that clause. And there are ministers who do manipulate people. They manipulate their church, their community. You know, they manipulate women and children. I, I do believe that. I don't even need to believe it. I, I, I've seen it. So my thing is, is that we have to, we have to really get to the bottom of what Christian leadership, Christian leadership looks like uh, when you look at the Bible, uh, which we'll get to very soon, you see many instances where how God wanted people to lead his people, um, how that looks totally different from what we see today, and the, the, the thought process, the systems, these false narratives and criterias that we put people under, and we, we, make, we program in their mind that that criteria um, you know, it's seen as obedience unto God, and it'll be rewarded with a blessing. And it's not true. It's just really not true. Uh, so yeah, so so we 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 we've hit that on the nail. So I've covered uh, in person, and I covered on TV, right? And and even to close up on TV, um, the messages that are preached. Um, you know, when it's time for offering. Uh, There's a huge deception behind tithes and offering. It's been a huge argument, not just in the Christian community, but the the community of religion, period. There are a lot of people out there that will argue that the way tithes and offering is expressed in the Bible is not what pastors and ministers are doing today, and I agree with them. Uh, If you're a student of the Word and you study the Word, it's really not hard to figure out that on tithes and offering, um, it has to do it has to do more with uh, understanding currency, um, understanding um, assets, um, understanding percentages, understanding um, you know, uh, what was valued back then and then how do we transfer that into um, today's economic and agricultural uh, economy, um, you know, it's not rocket science. Um, you know, back then, your highest currency was your livestock, and the acres of land that you owned, and the gold and silver, the spices, the different commodities, the blacksmiths, um, you know, uh, the mills, uh, you know, those were different things that were of high value. I'm talking about and in the trade market today worth millions upon billions of dollars, those different industries were important to all ancient civilizations. And so when God asks for the tenth, whether it be um, in your animals, whether it be in your land, whether it be in, you know, the gold and silver or any different elements that you traded, whether it be, um, you know, uh, of your housing, whatever the case may be, whatever it is that God acts for a percentage of, or, or whatever it is that He identified would be an offering unto Him, those were the tithes and offering. And a lot of ministers argue that when you, if you were to translate or watch, or watch that grow over time, I mean, who, who in the West, you know, if we were to be blunt about it, who in the West? probably a handful, have livestock today. Unless you, unless you intentionally bought a farm to raise cattle and to continue, you know, um, the agricultural structure of ancient civilizations, especially in the Bible, who here has livestock? Who here has gold sitting around, silver sitting around to give their percentage onto God in that manner as they're offering their tithe? You're looking at less, less, less than, less than point, less, less than one percent in America. Probably even less than that. Probably point zero 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 three two percent. I don't know, but I'm telling you right now that um, the argument of what we've correlated the and offering to people—people people believe that the church is committing flat-out robbery. They're committing manipulation and user, usury. They're robbing their members of resources, time, and money. And um, it's just an issue that um, really calls for um, every pastor's integrity to be in question. Um, I've even heard that there are banks that back churches, and a lot of them um, have a a list of criteria that you have to follow, what you preach, what you teach, um, in order to be funded for the year. And um, I'm pretty sure, probably on there, is the subject of tithes and offering. So these are the things that we we hear about, and it brings into question the leadership of today's believer. You know, um, even before I transition into uh, talking about what, what Christian leadership looks like um, in the Bible and on social media, uh, one of the things. Uh, that we have going on now is um, who is a legit minister? Who, how do you define a, a legit Christian leader? For years, and it's still an argument now, there are a lot of people that believe that if you don't go to Bible college, you don't go to some type of two, three-year seminary, even if it's online, or those in-person colleges that, you know, people create um, to, to teach about the the, minute, the the administrative gifts of the gospel, um, teaching about prophecy, the fivefold ministry, things like that. If you don't go, you don't take the course, you don't get certified, um, that you're not an ordained minister or you're not, a, you're not a fit or capable leader um, of the gospel. You also have people that will say, um, you know, you didn't have the laying on of hands. Uh, you know, so... And and when you study scripture, the Bible says, "Study to show thyself approved on uh, the word of God." Um, you know it's perfect. Uh, you know uh, for reproof for for um, leading people um, in the way that they should go um, and to perfect the man of God. You have uh, oh man, uh, Paul talked about um, the laying on of hands. You know in the in the New Testament. Um, And he talked about, um, you know, uh, true apostleship and sonship. And uh, these are arguments that still go on today. Um, If a person comes out of nowhere and they say they're a prophet, they say they're a pastor, and, you know, they don't got no record, they don't have no certificate, you know, like, do we really listen to them? And then you have the other side, which people call the charismatic side or part of the charismatic movement, or was or it was birthed out of the Pentecostal movement, is the fact that somebody got saved, they felt God spoke to them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they walk in the fear of God, and they listen to what God tells them to do, and boom, they got a church. Within five years, the church goes from zero to 500 members. Within 10 years, it goes from 500 members to 15,000 members, and now they're popular, they're on social media, and Uh, youth groups are following them, you know, and it's crazy. And that leads me to, what what does Christian leadership look like in the social media sector? Uh, Some people just simply don't, they just don't believe in it, you know, they they feel like it's not authentic, Um, there's no way you can just up and follow somebody, you don't know their track record, you're just seeing all these cool edited videos, Um, you know, now in today's day, in 2024, the average Christian leader, the average Christian leader who's been around longer than 10 years has access to more secular celebrities, more secular opportunities, more secular um, you know, doors, um, uh, and, and I'm talking about business industry. As a matter of fact, let's just be blunt, uh, Christian leaders who have been rising up within the last 10-20 years, a lot of them are financially you know, more well off than pastors and ministers who have been in the faith 30-40 years. There is not a high percentage of pastors. Especially, well, in America, in America it's debatable. And, but overseas, I know for sure, um, is a different story. There's not a lot of pastors who have wealth. I'm talking about Aside from what they do for their church and whatever offerings they receive from people who they who they bless with their you know ministry and preaching, a lot of ministers do not have wealth. A lot of ministers uh, have a job and they run a church. A lot of ministers, um, you know, struggle to keep their four hundred one k. We don't even know if they have basic health insurance. Um, a lot of them, you know, if they don't work. And they literally depend on um, their ministry to, to sustain them <clears throat> in whatever capacity <clears throat> that is the truth be told is that um, you know it's, it's not sustained <clears throat> And that usually could cause a lot of problems. There are stories that have come up with ministers who've gotten divorced or have had issues with their family, their children because the home is not stable due to them giving so much to church and not to their family. Um, that's a whole another discussion for a whole another day. But yeah, you have that. So if you look at in the last 10, 20 years, from, from the year 2000 to 2024, about 50 to 60% of the ministers who have popped out of nowhere, um, unless you were following them back in the early days of YouTube, or unless you were listening to their cassette tapes back when people were still buying cassette tapes of preachings, or if you had them on CD when people were selling their sermons on DVDs, unless you followed them from way back then, nobody knows them, but they popped up and they're taking pictures with movie stars, they're taking pictures with rap stars, they drive Lamborghinis, um, they, have, they have brokerage companies, real estate companies, uh, some of them you know, have paid for tuition for their youth to go to, uh, go to college. Um, you know, they, they have financial literacy programs. So a lot of them are doing more than what the local church, you know, was, was trying to do back in the day, which is just, you know, feed the homeless, you know, take care of the orphan and the widow, help people find a job, help people build their credit, help people, you know, stay celibate. Um, or, or keep themselves until marriage. It, the, the, the capacity of what ministers are doing today, especially the ones who are popular on social media, is vast. It is huge. And a lot of people are getting lost, especially the ones who experience quote unquote church hurt or the ones who find themselves just not being connected to, to today's uh, church community. It's because it, it's so big. Back in the day, you went to a church, you got saved, you got delivered, you joined the choir, you paid your tithe, you know, you believed God for a miracle, you, you had your job, you went to, you know, your yearly conf- conference or convocation. Um, you know, if you got, if the church saved money for a retreat, you did your retreat. You know, the church saved money to buy the pastor a new car. Um, your kids went to Sunday school, children's church. Um, you know, and then you had your traditional holiday services—Resurrection uh, Sunday, Christmas—you know, Hallelujah night. That was it. Now, huh? Man, you have some ministries out there. It is a—it is a full-on life experience. You—you you get in there. You have a cell group or whatever they call it. I, I mean. Um, every ministry has different names for, like, that group where they do, um, you know, in-person Bible study, um, you know, midweek services to help, you know, people grow in their faith and stay connected to the scriptures and stay connected to their church community. Every, every church is different. Uh, you have, you, have um, you know, man, that's just some, some, some Christian leaders today, their ministries turn that. It's, it, it's almost like walking into a theme park. So you have your Bible study, and then y'all drinking coffee, and then y'all, y'all at a, uh, an, action, um, an action park facility, you know, that, that they've rented out for six hours or some junk like that. You have um, social media. So you have uh, people in the ministry. They might be rappers, actors. So they do content creation. So you can join the content creators team. Uh, when they do evangelism and feed the homeless, um, it looks like a Netflix episode. Uh, you know, um, there's, there, there, like I said, there, there are ministries that focus on making sure the young people are involved in financial literacy. You know, more than just insurance, you know, buying a house, buying a car. I'm talking about real estate, crypto trading, um, starting a brokerage company, construction company, getting your CDL license. Um, being a franchise owner, starting a, a, a cybersecurity company like it, it, it has turned into something crazy but when it comes down to meeting people's needs and, and giving people what they need to thrive in their salvation with Christ, um, a lot of people do qu- question what do I look for? How do I know this awesome pastor that has you know two hundred thousand followers on on Instagram YouTube Twitch and TikTok and, and X, how do I know this person is a real man of God? It's, it's more to hide behind these days. Today, it is way more that you can hide behind. Not saying that, you know, because let's, let's use some common sense. Is it worth it to create all of these avenues in your ministry just so that you can hide behind it? You know, and maybe just saying that, you know, it's, it, it sounds, it sounds, more sensible to know the answer to that, you know, when you say it out loud, but that's, that would be crazy to me. That would be crazy to me, to create all of that just so that you can hide behind it. You know, um, I do believe God has called the leaders, the younger generation, to, to produce more and to do more, because the Bible does say, occupy until I come, and that all kingdoms of the world must become kingdoms of God. So younger ministers, they are getting hip with it, and it's taking the ministers who, who've been around for 30, 40, 50 years, it's taking them a while. Some of them have crossed over. And when I mean crossed over, they have accepted that modern technology is useful to do more effective ministry. That's what I mean. I'm not saying that they crossed over to, you know, not focus on the teachings of the word, preach heaven and hell, sin, um, you know, stuff like that. Um, I, I, can name a, I can name a few, you know. Um, but like I said, it's really worthless, and I try to stay away from that. Uh, if you simply just type in Google, if you simply just go on Instagram and YouTube, you will see. There are ministers who are in their 60s that have TikTok accounts now. And 30 years ago, they were preaching against modern technology and how it would be the destruction of the world. That this, there's, a, there's a son of one particular pastor. He's, he probably still is the number one pastor um, in Texas. His son drops Instagram videos all the time, easily between thirty to 70,000 views per video he drops. You know, you don't see the father in a lot of the clips because he's, he's up in age now, but the son is killing it. He's killing it right now. And the son is in his 40s, because I remember watching him on TVN. the son for sure was probably between 27 and 35, so I know he's in his 40s. You know, he keeps young, but still. So I'm just letting you guys know that Christian leadership, like, it's changed in terms of its presentation, and many people don't like the fact that the presentation of it has changed. They changed are correlating the fact that when you receive Jesus Christ, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, and you start to sit under the teachings of the Word of God, learn about the Gospels, learn about God's grace and mercy, learn about God's plan, learn about the end of the world, and learn about the mysteries of the Bible, that that is going to transform you into a person that, you know, wears the suit. You get a wife that dresses modest. Um and does not involve herself in any of the cosmetics and beauty tips of today's world, Um, you know, and you carry yourself a certain way. But the truth be told is that things have changed. One of the things I love about today's world is that people can say what they want about social media, but social media has exposed and given people the opportunity to talk about things we couldn't talk about back in the day. I was born in 1990, And growing up in the 90s, into the 2000s, I saw a lot of things I didn't know the backstory to. And I'm talking about the entertainment world, the Christian world, in my local community, in my local church. And it's when I got to 33 years old that when I look back and I hear the stories, I watch the interviews, I say, whoa, that is what that was about? That is why this person disappeared and this person got elevated That is why this person got arrested. That is why we didn't see this person anymore. That's why this ministry doesn't exist, yada, yada, yada. Like, yeah. So I love the fact that social media gives us the opportunity to get access to the truth quicker. Now, on the other hand, um, and many people believe this, that social media is being used to give a lot of false information and mask it with the gimmicks and the effects and all the AI and all that stuff so that we don't know the truth. But, I, I debate that because, um, like I said, uh, coupled with the fact that libraries still exist, um, and, and, and archival research, and the scientists who discovered and made monumental um, you know, discoveries and, and theories and, and things like that, all of that stuff is still around and you have people that take the time to transfer to social media and YouTube and their Internet so that you can find it, Um, you know, uh, I I debate it. I debate that not everything is being, um, um, you know, mirrored up as a lie. I mean, mirrored up as the truth, but it's really a lie. So, uh, yeah, you know, when you look at Christian leadership, like I say, I have my in-person experience, I have the TV experience, um, and then I have the, the social media um, experience. You have that right now. And then lastly, you have the, 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 the scriptural, right? Obviously, everything goes back to the Bible. It goes back to the Word of God. What did Christian leadership look like, you know, in the Bible? Well, obviously, New Testament, the word Christian is New Testament word, right? And it's literally um, only used like once or twice. It's it's literally a word that we know was a derogatory term to mock those who follow Jesus Christ, right? Over time, with the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, it was it was it was categorized um, as a <clears throat> as a, um, a a religious term and connected to religious religious organization um, with ties to the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church was technically um, you know when we when we when we look back in canon um, we see that it's one of the first church well, it is the first church you know of of the new century and the new world um, now obviously, if you study scripture um, the church in terms of um, god's institution God's divine institution of the church that's been in existence from the beginning uh, we have Multiple times in the Old Testament, where it talks about congregations being gathered for revival, for the reading of the Word. Um, you have the teachings of Moses and the first five books of the Bible, the Septuagint. You have the Torah with the Jewish, um, um, the Jewish uh, law and um, their culture. So you have these things, right? Um, you 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 have you you have uh, the origin. Of, of leadership in terms of the Bible and biblical leadership, when we, when we say Christian leadership um, and we connect it to the Bible, it will more so be New Testament with Paul, um, the disciples um, who were still alive, the sons of Paul. When we start finding out the, the sons and daughters he raised up in different churches through the 13 letters, um, the well, 13 the um, 13 epistles, when we, when we start to unravel that, we start to find out um, how Paul was putting people in place. We know we have Timothy, um, who uh, he considered his son, that he really poured his entire ministry into. We start to understand that when you say Christian leadership, it really falls under the teachings of grace, the revelation that Paul gave us about the mysteries of the word, in the book of Romans, um, and we understand we understand like I say in the thirteen letters, uh, Galatians, uh, Colossians, Philippians, um, Ephesians, um, do, 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 do. yeah, Romans, the First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians, uh, the book of Hebrews. You know, um, am I missing anything? I didn't. I didn't count it, so. I didn't, I didn't pre-count. I'm just saying out out loud. But when you when you look into um, you know those 13 epistles and you want to quote unquote you know tag that as Christian leadership, it is it is very difficult to it is very difficult to compare that time in the world and compare it with today because it was fresh. It was fresh. And and if you follow Scripture, and then you actually line it up with the culture of that day, it is very difficult to assume or conclude that Paul was mapping out a criteria. He was mapping out a criteria of of how you spot a Christian. Or a follower of Jesus Christ, in terms of, in terms of what they wear, in terms of um, what they do, like uh, what industries they work in, you know, uh, the type of friends that they have, and listen to me clearly, right? Um, Paul does reference. Um, you know, back to the Old Testament when he talks about, you know, how you should communicate, how you should mingle, um, and things like that. Um, and he does, give, he does give some insight into probably some of the problems he saw, which for sure a lot of people need to understand. Paul wrote these letters and encountered certain problems, but it was not something that God deemed as an outright um, you know, um, as an outright uh, slight to who God was, right? Like uh, when you read the, the book of Corinthians, 1st first, first and 2nd Corinthians, sexual immorality, the party lifestyle, all that type of stuff was big. Um, lewd and lascivious behavior, that stuff was was rampant with the Corinthian church. So Paul spent a lot of time talking about that and what did that, that, went, that, that was going towards, what, their character and um, making them understand about their transformation that took place and how to maintain that transformation. There was not a lot that was being said about their outward appearance. There was not a lot that was being said about um, behavior patterns because the gospel of Jesus Christ focused on soul transformation, not behavior modification. You know, as your soul is transformed, you might feel convicted as a result. See, what people are not understanding is that how a human being feels and what they interpret their feeling to be as a result of their soul being transformed, a lot of times the sensitivity of that feeling they connect that to what is around them and how they don't want what is around them to affect them. And sometimes they take that and turn it into a doctrine and they teach that. And I've I witnessed, seen that. And, it, and it, it's, it's been a dangerous conversation for a very long period of time, right? I know people with gold teeth. I know people with dreadlocks. I know people with criminal records. I know people with tattoos. I know people who used to be lesbians and homosexuals. I know people who used to run the streets and gangbang. I, I know people who, who, you know, committed, you know, different crimes. Um, and I didn't know them while they did it or know of it. I want to make that perfectly clear. But I'm saying that I got wind of it, and I'm like, oh, snap, I knew that person. Right? And when they encountered the message of Jesus Christ, the first thing that they did was what? They, the sensitivity of that experience caused them to want to not be connected to anything related or similar or in close connection to the thing that, that brought them so much shame. If you study world history, it, used, it got so bad after Christ died and the gospel started to spread some people who used to live in the Roman Empire, Byzantine Empire, um, or even the remains or remnants of the Greek Empire when the the Greeks um, had a stronghold on Europe, a lot of them couldn't handle um, the rampant behavior of the communities they used to live in. You know, partying, sex, you know, the hedonism, all of that stuff. So what they did, they ran to the mountains, They ran to the hills, and they started monasteries. This is recorded. It's public domain. You can go read it, right? And this is in every continent. This wasn't just in Europe when the message of the gospel went to Africa, Asia, um, North America. For those who, who, who think that the gospel didn't hit North America before it was discovered, the gospel went everywhere. So let's just get that clear. So you have these people that run away. And they start these monasteries and they start, um, you know, to become monks. And Hollywood is it's so funny. Hollywood will always show what a monk looks like um, in Asia, but uh, there are monks everywhere. They, they, because the monk is not, like I say, the monk is not the look. The monk is the lifestyle. The Christian is not the look. The Christian is the lifestyle. You know, it, it's, it's, it's always been a dangerous thing that we see uh, time and time again because uh, it's easy to, 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 to share a sensitivity or have a sensitivity to the conviction of the Word of God in your life and how you want to distance yourself from anything that will make you feel like you're not in God's will. But to take that and translate it to the masses is very dangerous, and it always has been dangerous, which is what has given birth to cults, cult followings, and uh, why we see so much separation amongst the body of Christ or amongst people who believe in the name of Jesus. It's always been a dangerous thing. It's not, it, it has never been something that has been welcoming and ended, ended good. So Christian leadership Uh, we have to be very careful uh, today to look for the character transformation and how it is enhancing and changing a person's lifestyle. If the Word of God is being preached and it is changing a person's lifestyle, that's the narrative that we need to focus on and give people grace while all the other stuff we don't like is changing. And if it doesn't change, That's fine. One of the best advice somebody told me is, Darren, you're going to lose a person trying to beat them over the head um, for for what it looks like they're doing. If you have a problem with what they're doing, pray pray in secret, love them in public, and just be done with it. But unfortunately, it's still a strong narrative, and a lot of churches still do this, especially in the black and brown community, They hound dog people who their exterior, they just feel like, does not complement or does not um, magnify the word of God. And that's a very, very dangerous standpoint that the church has been in for a very long time. And I hope that we can change that narrative. This is Darian Jones with Honor Kings and Sons TV. Thank you guys so much. It's been a while since I had a clip this long. But I thank all of you for listening. Please be sure to follow me on Honor Kings and Sons on Instagram. Um, I'm on YouTube now. You guys can follow me. I'm on YouTube. Just type in Honor Kings and Sons TV. And also, I'm changing my TikTok, but until I do, you can find me on TikTok at djhksjhf, and you will see me there. Uh, Thank you guys so much. And if you want to be able to be on this podcast as a sponsor, uh, you want to be able to uh, chime in. Um, Like I say, find me on one of my platforms, Let's start a conversation and let's see how we can talk about uh, things in the future. God bless you guys, and I'm out.